0: This episode of Overthinking Movies contains spoilers for Mortal Kombat 1995 and 1997's Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Though if you're really worried about spoilers for Mortal Kombat Annihilation, I don't know what to tell you. Welcome back to Overthinking Movies, I'm your overthinking host, Brandon Hayne. You know the drill at this point. With the Mortal Kombat reboot out this week as of this recording, this time we are of course covering the older films in the Mortal Kombat franchise, based off the now nearly three decades old video game franchise of the same name. I have little to no experience with the games, aside from general knowledge that has been absorbed into the mainstream. They are fighting games where you pick a character to compete in a tournament against a bracket of other fighters. However, what made them unique is their extreme level of violence. Each player has a move to finish their opponent in extremely visceral ways. Now, back in the 90s, when the series was born and became popular for these reasons, it and a few other games known for their adult content pushed the creation of the ESRB, the ratings board, which is why the games we have today are rated E for Everyone, T for Teen, and M for Mature, and so on. So in adapting this property into a film, it would naturally be rated R, right? Well, surprisingly no. The first Mortal Kombat movie was rated PG-13 and doesn't contain any real graphic violence aside from a few things that are kind of implied off-screen. You might be thinking this misses the point of its source material, yet you might be surprised by the results. I brought on my co-host Zach Yetter, who has more experience with the games than I do, to judge if Mortal Kombat still fares well despite the limitations of its rating. So I actually quite enjoyed Mortal Kombat 1995. It's a movie that I think works on two different layers. Like, it's a movie that I felt like I was laughing with as much as at. Like, there's, there's silly things in this movie that were funny, but there's also legitimately funny things, too, that were intentional, and also fun fight scenes and fast pacing. Like, I was surprised by
1: it. There are some things I wish there was a little bit, like, that we got to see that we'll get into later. But overall, I pretty much got what I wanted. You know it's not like a fantastic movie on its own. As a movie based on Mortal Kombat for what Mortal Kombat was at 1995, yeah, I got what I wanted and I'm pretty sure fans must have thought the same cuz I I'm pretty sure I only really hear people say positive things about this.
0: Yeah, like not people telling me it's great like you said, but like just that it's fun. It's a fun video game movie that mostly kind of hits the, some of the main notes of its franchise
1: makes me wonder if maybe this movie started some things in mortal kombat's plot like kano killing Sonya blade's partner i wonder if that was a thing this movie started or if that was always a thing because i i'm not familiar with the arcade endings but i am familiar with how mortal kombat 9 retold the story
0: okay because i yeah like i like i said in the opening i have no real experience with mortal kombat's lore characters i'm kind of Going into this completely blind and I was surprised that even without a lot of knowledge about the lore I felt the movie did a decent enough job introducing everybody and getting to the point in a way that made sense for me that knows Mortal Kombat purely through osmosis.
1: It did lead to a lot of awkward expository dialogue but it wasn't like bad none of it went on too long thankfully.
0: Yeah, thankfully, it was, like, I, that's the thing I was really worried about, because a lot of the writing in the opening, like, third of the movie was pretty bad. It was, like, really on-the-nose, like, typical exposition lines of, as you know, and you're the greatest fighter, and and then, like, characters just stating characters' names just so we know who their names are. Um, but thankfully, once it gets past that hurdle, it's not that I think the script of this movie is great, but it's actually pretty likable, and... Fits in little references to the games in a way that feels natural to this movie's world.
1: Yeah, I actually really like Liu Kang in this one. I think Johnny Cage and Sonya Blade are done well, too. I think Sonya Blade, they tried a little too hard to make her seem really, really strong, but I still liked her. I think her actors did a good job. I think all the actors did a good job. They were hokey, but it, it was for Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat's kind of like a hokey series of fighting games. Like, it's it's like digitized actors pretending to be able to punch each other.
0: Yeah, like, it's all intentionally very over the top. I mean, to be fair, I think Liu Kang and Johnny Cage are on a, a bit of a different level from our our villain, Shang Shang Tsung, who is... Oh boy, that guy, he is... His facial acting is some of the funniest I've seen in a while because of the crazy expressions he does with his face throughout this movie.
1: I haven't laughed this much at a movie just doing goofy things in a long time. Like, I used to really, really love bad acting and find it hilarious. Nowadays, it has to get really goofy or really over the top for me to laugh at it. Otherwise, it's just basic bad acting and bores me. But no, Shang Tsung's faces are are such a treat. Even if you don't really care about any of the Mortal Kombat aspects, I would still recommend this movie solely for Shang Tsung.
0: He narrows his eyes all the time, but has like this kind of smug look on his face. But when he speaks, it's like he's only moving the lips of his mouth. And he's like enunciating every syllable in a way that's just... It ends up just sounding really goofy. But at the same time, he's completely convincing as this smug villain that's trying to take over Earth.
1: Yeah, he actually does a surprisingly good job of being an intimidating villain, despite the goofy faces. I knew this was going to be a good movie from the very beginning, when I'm guessing Liu Kang dreams of Shang Tsung killing his brother, and Shang Tsung just looks directly into the camera... And just goes, your soul is mine. I'm not even sure if any other human could recreate those faces.
0: Our main characters are Liu Kang, Sonya Blade, and Johnny Cage. And they're all, like we said, uh, they're all acted well and pretty likable protagonists just because of, like, a, a lot of the writing of their character interactions are intentionally funny. Like, they actually work for what they were going for. Uh, They play off of each other well.
1: For example, the scene where Johnny Cage looks at Liu Kang and hands him a bunch of money and says, can you take my luggage into the boat? Because there's a boat that's supposed to take them to Mortal Kombat. Liu Kang takes one of the suitcases and just throws it into the water, flashes the money, and just walks away. And that was a legitimately funny scene.
0: (laughs) Hey, you, carry my stuff. And Liu Kang was having none of that.
1: Like I said, I really like Liu Kang's personality in this. I thought they were going to make him a, a very generic hero stereotype. But no, he, he doesn't agree to Mortal Kombat because he's the chosen one. He only agrees to Mortal Kombat specifically for revenge. And he's very, like, sarcastic.
0: He has this kind of rebellious attitude that, like like you said, I expected more of like a stoic, you know, few words warrior type. But instead, yeah, he's he doesn't fully understand what's going on, but he kind of just accepts it. He kind of just accepts everything around him while Johnny Cage is the one that's always like, what, what is this? Where am I? What's going on anymore? Luke Kang is just, even if he knows as much as Johnny Cage, he's always has this look on his face like, yeah, I'm
1: fine with all of this. Liu Kang did grow up with the monks, and the monks do know about Mortal Kombat, and Liu Kang was told about Raiden, Lord of Thunder, but I'm guessing Liu Kang didn't believe any of it. When he first sees Raiden, he thinks he's just a beggar, and he tries to beat him in a fight, but Raiden flips him over, and his eyes start to crack with electricity. Liu Kang goes, okay, I lose.
0: Christopher Lambert as Lord Raiden also has some really great strange moments in this movie that were funny, no less because he's he spends the entire movie talking like this.
1: Yeah, that's so bizarre. I don't know why he had Raiden speak like that. I, I'm not sure either, but I I kind of,
0: I guess it just sort of works okay for what they were doing. But there was also just some strange moments like that one part where he's like giving this deep monologue about what c- Mortal Kombat is. And then after he does it, he just lets out this laugh, this like almost evil sounding laugh. And then he cuts himself off and goes, oh, sorry.
1: Yeah, he's basically saying if we lose Mortal Kombat, Earth will be taken over and everyone will pretty much die. Then he laughs. And he's like, <clears throat> sorry.
0: And I was like, what? There's a lot of moments where I was like, what? But in a way that I was into at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's not what as in this movie is confusing. It's more what because it's so goofy, but it revels in its own goofiness. Like it's not a shame to be. And that's what makes this movie a lot of fun. I would say that there is this feeling that everyone was having fun making this movie
0: absolutely and when we say and and yeah like we said it's not confusing in the traditional way of previous movies we've done it's it's more just kind of wacky things that happen but also the fact that i mean we wouldn't really be confused by the story because the movie doesn't really have much of one a bunch of fighters from all over the world are picked to fight in a fighting tournament to the death for the future of earth that's about it
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it pretty much treats the story how most fighting games would treat the story. It's basically just an excuse to have a bunch of characters come and fight each other. And that works for Mortal Kombat. Even though Mortal Kombat is usually one of the fighters with the most lore and world building, I would say. Like, especially compared to Street Fighter. And yeah, I was actually, again, surprised by how well they stuck to the story in Mortal Kombat. Even if there isn't much of one to stick to, but it it was really nice to see things like Kano still being Australian. And they do bring up the fact that he's part of an underworld gang, although I don't think they ever bring up the name. Goro is a prince like he is, and they even bring up the fact that he's a Shao Kahn. He's part of a race of four-armed warriors, and no, not sorry, not Shao Kahn, Goro. Goro's the four-armed warrior.
0: And for his effects, I was surprised because like I expected almost like a, either some terrible 90s computer generated creatures or they were going to have like a human actor that they were going to put like prosthetic double arms on to give him that effect. But instead, they created this actually pretty cool looking animatronic puppet that an actor is sort of like inside of to portray Goro. And it actually looks pretty good for the time.
1: The face does bother me, not necessarily because that it can't emote, there's just, I don't know. The way the head moves when he speaks l- always looked jarring to me. But for the most part, yeah, I really liked how it looked. It, I'm so glad they didn't go with 3D like they did for Reptile. <laughs>
0: And that's kind of the thing about this movie with its special effects is that I think some of them are pretty decent, others are not. They're consistent enough in their quality that they don't distract from everything else going on. At least until Reptile shows up and he's this... I mean, you told me in the game he was like a green ninja, but he spends most of this movie as a terrible-looking CGI lizard thing?
1: He does turn into the green ninja in the most confusing way possible.
0: That's true, much later on into the movie, when he goes into his form that everybody, but it, it just makes you go, why wasn't he always like that? Why, why did they have to give him this weird origin as a C- CGI lizard?
1: I thought that's what they were going to, actually, I didn't even think Rectile would have been mo- in this movie at all, but if they did put him in, I thought they would have, yeah, just made him a green ninja, like how Scorpion's the yellow ninja and Sub-Zero's the blue ninja. But no, they made him a CGI monster thing. And then when he's fighting with Liu Kang, he falls into a corpse in Outworld and fuses with the corpse to become a ninja. I don't know where he got that outfit from. It was at least nice that they did put him in as the green ninja, even if it didn't make any sense.
0: It was a surprise because I feel like most fans would be watching the movie being like, what the hell, that's supposed to be a reptile? But then, no, I mean, they do it. It just feels like such an odd choice.
1: I would say they did do most of the characters justice even though we didn't really get to see a fight between Scorpion and Sub-Zero because I'm pretty sure they're supposed to be rivals and Shang Tsung even introduces them as rivals but he says they're both under his control. I don't remember if Sub-Zero is under Shang Tsung's control in the first Mortal Kombat. I know Scorpion is but I'm uh, I'm actually not sure who Sub-Zero fought for. I wasn't sure if he was on Earth Realms or Outworld side in Mortal Kombat which to give a Quick description of what Mortal Kombat is. It is a ill-defined fighting tournament, because apparently you could just fight someone whenever, or you're supposed to only fight someone when they challenge you. I don't know how it works. It's, like I said, it's ill-defined. It's not very much of a tournament. There's no bracket. This isn't March Madness. But basically, there is a Mortal Kombat every generation, and if Outworld can defeat another realm 10 times in a row outworld will basically take over El- earth realm
0: right and by the time the tournament in this movie starts they've already won nine tournaments i mean you couldn't really do a whole lot with that puppet so it's more just him kind of standing there punching the other characters
1: yeah i kind of wish they got to do something with goro like even if they couldn't show it on screen because this is a pg-13 movie i wish they would have done something like with that guy that i think we're supposed to care about gets killed by Goro I kind of wish there would have been a moment where it cuts to Goro he's holding up the guy and you could just hear this stretching sound effect and then it cuts to Luke Kang's reaction or Johnny Cage's as you hear this ripping sound effect and you hear this one final scream although I guess then if he was dead Shang Tsung wouldn't have been able to take a soul but it's Mortal Kombat there's kind of supposed to be a lot more fatalities but there is actually a couple of deaths I was actually surprised Sonya Blade does just end up breaking Kano's neck (laughs)
0: Yeah, just kills him. I mean, to be fair, Shang son didn't really, I wouldn't really think he had a use for Kano's soul. He just kind of wanted that guy dead after uh, Kano insulted him in an earlier scene.
1: I think he only used Kano to bait Sonya into coming to the tournament because he thought she was hot or something.
0: Yeah, he has like a weird fixation with her most of the movie. And I guess he. it's one of those weird things that a lot of movie villains do where they want the female character as their queen.
1: I think in this movie, remember how Raiden is talking about how they each have a fear and Sonya's is trusting people? I guess they were going for that kind of angle where she has to trust in her friends to come save her. Right. Although, speaking of the Goro fight, uh, that does bring me up into something I wanted to talk about because Johnny Cage does the nut punch- you know, fan favorite nut punch from the first Mortal Kombat game, and I believe he does in some other ones. That was something I was disappointed in this movie. There wasn't enough of the characters getting to use their special moves. Because in Mortal Kombat, Luke Kang can actually throw fireballs. Johnny Cage can like do shadow kicks or something. He can do this kick that slides them forward and then they're after images. And Johnny Cage can also throw like lob a green fireball. Sonya Blade has, I think, some kind of thing on her wrist that allows her to shoot lasers.
0: Okay. I mean, Liu Kang does shoot a fireball in this movie, but it's not until, like, the very last fight.
1: Yeah, I I forgot about that. I I just wish there was more special moves, but I I still feel like there was enough. Liu Kang does do his bicycle kick in the movie, even if it looked a little lame.
0: Right, Scorpion has his get over here thing, which he actually does multiple times. Get down here! (laughs) Just a little fun fact to toss out there, his voice in the movie was done by the co-creator of Mortal Kombat himself.
1: I can't remember if it's John Tobias or Ed Boone, but usually one of them is always the guy who says, Get
0: over here! It's a Ed Boone in this case.
1: Okay, yeah, that's who I thought it was.
0: Uh, once the tournament sort of begins then yeah most of the middle of the movie is just kind of fight scene after fight scene and this is the only part of the film to me that began to drag a bit just because i felt like they were kind of throwing in fights for the sake of fights and in, in some cases that didn't really have a lot of connection but i understand why they put them in there because hey it's throwing in more mortal combat characters to have little fight scenes with
1: yeah i'm not sure who Luke kang fought As his first contestant, because I don't think he's in any of the Mortal Kombat games. I don't
0: believe so either. It's just a guy who, he looks like a normal guy, but when he yells, for some reason they have like a lion's roar sound edited under his scream. It's really odd, but yet he looks like a normal guy.
1: Like we said, this movie's really goofy.
0: But speaking of the fights, how would you overall kind of grade the choreography we've got going on here?
1: I feel like there are definitely some fight scenes where you could tell the actors weren't especially trained in martial arts. I believe Liu Kang's was. Johnny Cage did all right. I felt like Sonya's fight with Kano was one of the weakest, except for Johnny versus Goro. I felt like that one kind of ended disappointingly. I would say my favorite fight was Johnny versus Scorpion.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: I could see that. After they get to wherever the hell they teleport to.
0: Uh, Scorpion's Realm? I have no idea.
1: I almost want to say it's Hell, because Scorpion can teleport, and he is a specter in the games. So I thought that's where he took him, but I don't think Hell has that wooden bridge. (laughs) Although there is a lot of- there is a lot of skeletons.
0: I mean, I've never been to Hell, but I would assume
1: that would be there. I would say the Johnny Cage versus Scorpion fight is my favorite. It had the most energy. It felt like it had the least awkward pauses... It also had clearly the best choreography I really like. I also really like the camera angle, how it made it feel like a 2D fighting game for a moment.
0: They do a good job making, like, kind of recreating a lot of the fight arenas from the games by making these big sets.
1: I also really like how the Johnny Cage versus Scorpion fight ends. Scorpion pulls off his mask, revealing the skull, and he does his fatality. Johnny blocks it with a shield, and then he starts cutting Scorpion up with the shield, cuts the skull, and then Scorpion explodes. It was, that was really, really cool.
0: Because a lot of the other fights kind of feel like they end early or they use some other kind of trick to kill the enemy instead of just you know wearing them down like uh, when Luke kang fights sub-zero and sub-zero forms like this ice uh, energy thing around him and then katana the princess that uh has a- an infatuation for Luke kang goes you must use the thing that gives life to defeat him and i thought this was gonna be like i i don't know what 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 you would really use but It turns out to be water that he throws at Sub-Zero's shield that then freezes Sub-Zero with his own powers, but also impaling him with a giant icicle. It was like, okay.
1: I thought they were setting up Liu Kang being able to throw fireballs. Like, I'm not sure if you would call fire the element of life, but hey, fire can produce light, Uh, as we learned in Sharkboy and Lava Girl.
0: Yes, yes, as we learned only in Sharkboy and Lava Girl.
1: But no, apparently Katana knew that Raiden would bring buckets of water that Luke Cage could have thrown at Sub Zero while he was doing his ice shield. Then the water would freeze into an ice impale into a wall, and then Sub Zero would be frozen by his own ice.
0: That was another. That was a very uh, okay kind of fight. And then on top of that, the other the other example I would give where I had that reaction was was Johnny Cage's fight with goro he crotch punches him and then after that he just kind of pathetically throws him over a cliff
1: (laughs) yeah that i wish that was a lot better goro's like a big bad boss i figured they would have given him a cooler death but no johnny cage sort of cheeps his way out of that fight i guess it makes sense johnny cage does do the nut punch which is something johnny cage does in the games i kind of wish we got to see johnny cage do another special move as well He could have even like did that special move to kick Goro off and I would have been satisfied with it. No, he knocks Goro down onto his knees then he kind of pathetically kicks him in the face and Goro falls off the cliff.
0: And that's kind of one thing that's really that I really liked about this movie in general was that set design, art design, world design, all the sets, they do a good job making them feel huge and also just look really cool. Like looking like something that really is the world of that game coming into a live action film.
1: I especially like the set where it looks like it's supposed to be Shang Tsung's throne room slash banquet hall, I guess, because that's where they were originally going to eat until the guards just... Flip the tables over so Sub-Zero could fight a monk and beat him really, really quickly. Which does lead me to, I do like how Shang Tsung says some of the iconic Mortal Kombat lines. For example, flawless victory and finish him. I think that actor did a good job being able to bring those lines out.
0: And also because they place those lines in areas that make sense with what's going on in the movie instead of other video game properties or other adaptations of uh, nostalgic stuff I've seen where they tend to really shoehorn in references just to make it seem like it's something even though most of the time these movies have nothing to do with the thing they're adapting.
1: Or like a lot of other video game movies, they usually tend to make the characters more generic. Not that the characters here are... The most unique, but I feel like, again, they were written well, and I would say they did a pretty good job of keeping them to their original game form, whatever their original game form would have been for games that were arcade fighting games in the 1990s.
0: Right. They didn't really have, like, defined, like, personalities uh, besides, you know, one specific character trait. I mean, that's kind of the fun thing about 90s adaptations of video games, uh, because, you know, that's in the early days when there wasn't a lot of lore to work with, like the Super Mario Brothers movie that maybe we'll cover at some point. But that's that's a very different way of adapting a video game.
1: Very, very different. To talk about some of the other fight scenes, I thought the one where the three main characters fought Shang Tsung's warriors, I thought that one was kind of fun.
0: Oh, what, you mean the, the, the scene where Luke, Kang and Sonya and Johnny are all fighting those warriors in the big banquet room? I did think that was fun, and then Raiden shows up just like, nope, no more fighting.
1: Yeah, I also like that scene to continue talking about how genuinely funny this movie can be. They defeat the first couple of warriors, and then the camera turns around and shows even more warriors. Yeah, that were just there. So, of course, Raiden comes in, and he's like, hey... No, no, no. He wags his finger at them. Then they just let him leave. Which, again, makes me go, what, how does Mortal Kombat even work as a tournament? Because they keep making it sound like you're not allowed to fight outside of a challenge, but then people fight outside of challenges all the time.
0: Well, to be fair, that's a lot of Shang Sun manipulating the tournament from the outside to try to mess with the other warriors.
1: Okay, fair enough. I still don't get, despite the fact that it is my favorite fight, I don't get how the Johnny Cage versus Scorpion one starts out. I, I guess we could say Shang Tsung sent Scorpion to go kill Johnny Cage.
0: It has to be something like that because it just, this just happens. It just cuts to a scene of Johnny Cage walking through the this wooded area and then Scorpion shows up.
1: <laughs> I really like the scene where Scorpion just flips into view.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of moments, uh, unintentional moments, of comedic timing with some of the way these actors... The the camera shots or the way the actors move, where it'll be them, like, trying to power up a move. Or doing a bunch of martial arts separately uh, before a fight. And it always has
1: this strange, like, goofy quality to it. Those probably gave me some of the biggest unintentional laughs. I am actually surprised... Because I just now noticed this. Sonya and Johnny do not get together at the end of this movie. They're just friends.
0: I mean, he kind of has her arm. He he has his arm around her at the end of the movie. And there's clearly like something brewing. But yes, they never do like a full-blown romance.
1: That actually completely catches me off guard. Because in the Mortal Kombat games, Johnny and Sonya are actually a couple. And they even have a daughter.
0: Oh, oh, interesting. Okay.
1: A daughter that, yes, you can perform fatalities on. (laughs) Oh my god. Which made a lot of people go, that's weird. (laughs) And in fact, that was kind of the biggest thing about Mortal Kombat 10 was they introduced a bunch of next generation characters that were the children of the previous generation. You could have some really disturbing stuff happen because boy, oh boy, the, the fatalities in Mortal Kombat 10 and 11 are very messed up.
0: Oh, no. Because that's the thing, this was a PG-13 film, so they couldn't really do much with it. And you know, everybody sort of makes that jab like, a PG-13 Mortal Kombat movie? But I guess maybe the filmmakers were trying to appeal to that wider audience. But you know, I mean, boy, it could have been so much worse than this.
1: I do still appreciate that Shang Tsung gets kicked into spikes, even if it's not necessarily where the spikes would normally appear in Mortal Kombat. I I still appreciate Shang Tsung ending up impaled.
0: Yeah, the way his body decays and then the souls pop out. Yeah, I thought, I mean, you know, it wasn't great effects even for the time, but I thought it worked well for the movie and what it's kind of, you know, had throughout.
1: I would assume this is PG-13 because despite Mortal Kombat having a lot of gore, I would say it's very clear that kids and teens were the ones who were the most into it. I don't think many adults would have been playing Mortal Kombat at the time. So it probably made sense to make it PG-13 so the teenagers who played Mortal Kombat could go see the movie. Right. Also, probably the producers didn't think a rated R video game movie would work out very well. I could kind of see that.
0: Yeah, especially at the time, because now, of course, you know, with films like Deadpool bringing in so much money at the box office, they've kind of realized that R-rated movies still can do quite well and they don't have to be relegated. That you don't have to fear that rating, you know, pulling away sales and that sometimes a movie does need that rating to fulfill, you know, what it has to set out to do. And Mortal Kombat is especially one of those cases, which is one of the things that I am very interested to see in the upcoming reboot film uh, coming out on friday we're currently recording this on wednesday uh, that it is going to be an r-rated film and it and i haven't watched anything just so i don't spoil myself on anything but i am very intrigued to see how you would do this type of story in a 2021 context because yeah for 1995 it's it still kind of holds up pretty well as a fun little uh fighting movie
1: I would say it's pretty much exactly what everyone expected. I don't think anyone went into this considering that it'd be an Oscar contender. They just wanted a fun movie based on Mortal Kombat with Mortal Kombat characters beating each other up, and that's pretty much what you get. Some of the fight scenes could have been better choreographed, but uh, I, like I said, still had a really fun time. Still liked some of the choreography. I like the Liu Kang and Reptile fight, even though I feel like it ends really weirdly.
0: yeah. So this is a bit of a weird case where I'm watching a movie that is a build-up to something coming out. And usually it's more a case of me watching something and I'm like, okay, so this movie is going to be really good. And then the one coming out, I don't have as high expectations for, but here it's a case of, oh no, this is fun. I hope, I hope the new one's fun too. I, I feel like we might have two pretty decent video game movies.
1: Even if it's kind of stupid, I'm hoping it's fun at the very least. It could even pretty much be the same story we got here. Maybe a little bit fleshed out now that uh, we've had games like Mortal Kombat 9 that kind of flesh out the original trilogy. I also hope we get more characters than just Mortal Kombat 1 characters. I hope we get more Mortal Kombat 2, maybe Mortal Kombat 3 characters. Maybe Mortal Kombat 3 characters would be a bit too much for the first movie.
0: Being just called Mortal Kombat, you would assume it would adapt to the early lore of the games and not like the newer stuff.
1: That's what I figure. I would still feel like you could pretty much do something similar in 1995. Because remember, 1995 is PG-13, but this will be rated R. So you could pretty much kind of do what 95 did. I would say hopefully with better choreography and a lot more gore. Not have Reptile be this weird CGI creature. Give Goro a really, really awesome death.
0: Well, I, I mean, when I've looked along the casting list for the for the reboot, Goro is listed. So, of course, they're probably going to make him a big CG thing in this movie. But hey, I'm sure the effects will make up for, you know, not having a realistic uh, puppet anymore.
1: I'm also hoping for more special moves. Let Liu Kang throw fireballs. Let Liu Kang finish Sang-sung by transforming into a dragon. Oh, can he do that? And Mortal Kombat 1. Actually, he needs to finish off Shang Song by dropping a Mortal Kombat arcade cabinet on top of him.
0: Wait, is that also a thing?
1: Yes, that is one of Liu Kang's fatalities. I believe in Mortal Kombat 2. But of course, of course, I know they're probably not going to do this. But I would be so happy if they added one friendship in the new Mortal Kombat movie. <laughs> Mortal Kombat's a very goofy series. That's why this movie fits so well. You could even do something called a babality, which just turns your opponent into a baby.
0: Yeah, I was about to bring that up. I'm like, oh no, would they... I'm sure they wouldn't put that in the movie, but...
1: That'd be really creepy if they did that.
0: I would say I'm cautiously optimistic about the new movie, and I would hope that... With our surprisingly positive reception of Sonic the Hedgehog last year, I hope that we're seeing a slow step forward for video game movies in the time to come with uh, Resident Evil also coming out later this year.
1: Doesn't even have to be that good. It just has to be stupidly enjoyable. Please, please, please.
0: Yes, just make something entertaining that doesn't make us angry or sad. Unless the movie is supposed to make us feel that way. But don't make it unintentional.
1: Don't annihilate our hopes. And
0: speaking of, not too long after this recording, Zack decided he was gonna watch Mortal Kombat Annihilation on his own. I warned him, pleaded with him for the sake of his own sanity not to, but it was too late. He was already halfway in. I then asked Zack if he wanted to write a review for it just to have something productive come out of watching Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and he agreed. So, in something a little bit different, here is co-host Zack Yetter giving a solo review of Mortal Kombat Annihilation.
1: Mortal Kombat Annihilation. A fitting title considering that it annihilates almost any hope of being a good movie right from the beginning. Johnny Cage dies, which makes sense given that he does die in the events leading up to Mortal Kombat 3 in the game series. However, it's not just him that dies, but also any heart and soul that could be found in the first film. While far from perfect, it set out what it wanted to do. As Brendan and I discussed, it was a cheesy action film that was made entertaining by Shang Tsung's over-the-top acting and the personality of the main trio. Liu Kang and Annihilation now only really speaks in either heroic cliches or asks questions relevant to the plot. Sonya, played by a different actress, along with her partner Jax, are pretty much the only enjoyable characters. This is a shame considering Jax is written as a stereotypical black character, but it's definitely more than what is given to someone like Katana. Raiden's actor, along those cast to play Liu Kang and Katana, all feel like they're phoning in their performance. Raiden doesn't keep his deepened voice from the first film, which I was fine with because it didn't make any sense to me in the first place. It does show, however, that he was putting less effort into his performance this time around. To talk about the new characters, there's a lot of Mortal Kombat 3 characters thrown into this movie with the way most characters come into frame by flipping with zero build-up, I wouldn't blame you if you took that statement literally. It's cool to see the cyber ninjas like Cyrax and Smoke. Their costumes look pretty good. However, imagine not knowing anything about them before going into this movie. You'd be extremely confused as to why Shao Kahn has robot ninjas on his side. Same goes for Baraka and Melina. Melina is significant in the games because I believe she is a clone of Katana, meant to take her place as Shao Kahn's daughter. Here, she gets into a short mud wrestling match with Sonya and dies from a kick in the face. I guess it's a really hard kick in the face? Baraka gets even less screen time, but at least they got into a fight. Shiva, who is part of the same race as Goro and gets a little bit of build-up as part of Shao Kahn's main group, is crushed by a cage that was keeping Katana prisoner. Shiva at least got the show up, Cabal and Stryker are referenced by name by Rain, and Rain reveals they're alive, yet they never show up in the film or are mentioned again. I could go on, and I will later. The overall plot is that Shao Kahn is defying the role the Elder Gods put in the place. He uses Sindel, Katana's resurrected mother, to keep the portal between Outworld and Earthrealm open. This in turn causes Outworld and Earth to merge together. In order to reverse this, Katana needs to free Sindel from Shao Kahn's control through... the power of love. Shao Kahn says the merge will take six days, but it really doesn't feel like six days pass in this movie. Raiden goes on to confront the Elder Gods as to why they just let Shao Kahn defy them. They only dodge his questions and talk about how humanity is in charge of their own fate, which has nothing to do with what Raiden's asking about. They don't really seem to care that Shao Kahn doesn't care about the rules. Makes me wonder why Mortal Kombat was even a thing in the first place. Liu Kang is told he doesn't have enough power to fight Shao Kahn, so he must meet with Nightwolf to learn how to use Animality. I really liked that they were going to bring Animality into this, but its use in the final fight is awful and doesn't serve much of a purpose. During Liu Kang's and Katana's journey to find Nightwolf, Smoke appears out of nowhere with no build-up. Then Sub-Zero's younger brother, who is also called Sub-Zero, shows up out of nowhere and freezes the smoke. Scorpion then also appears out of nowhere, leading Sub-Zero and Scorpion to get into an overall decent fight scene. The fight ends with no clear-cut winner, after Scorpion kidnaps Katana and teleports away, never to be seen in the movie again. Sub-Zero warns Liu Kang that he can't fight Shao Kahn alone, then he... Leaves Liu Kang alone and never shows up in the movie again. Cool. Jade shows up after Liu Kang had a dream sequence that was apparently part of a test to learn animality. She tries to make out with Liu Kang, who refuses because he totally loves Katana. The chemistry between Katana and Liu Kang is completely non-existent. Jade then begins leading Liu Kang to the tower where Katana is being held. On the way, they meet with Jax and Sonya. Now, what Jax and Sonya have been up to is that Sonya found Jax in some kind of military lab. At this point, he already had the mechanical arms attached to his normal arms, and he was bound, I guess because of doing the surgery, although... eh. So, Jax uses mechanical arms to break through the binds, then they get into a fight with Cyrax. The fight against Cyrax may be my favorite scene in the movie, not that there's much competition, Sonya also fought with Melina, who Sonya does confuse for Katana, but that doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Melina and Cyrax both had tattoos that came to life and flew away. When Sonya defeated Melina, a monster statue came to life, and Jack saved Sonya by punching in the butt. Once again, in this movie, Sonya needs to learn to rely on others. Gotta love reused character arcs. While meeting with the Elder Gods, Raiden gives up his immortality because reasons. The Elder Gods ask him to give it up, but I don't think Raiden gets anything out of it. He's asked, do you love humanity to give up your immortality? Raiden says yes, gets a new haircut and outfit, and that's it. He loses his thunder powers, using the last of his powers to take the cast to Outworld. Meanwhile, Shao Kahn's plan is pretty much to lure out our heroes into a trap. By having them come to rescue Katana, because they believe uniting Sindel and Katana will close the portals and reverse the merge. Jade was a part of the trap. After Katana's love fails, probably because the actress is incapable of emotion, Sindel and Jade reveal it's a trap. They then just leave. Sindel spins around in a silly way to teleport out. This distracts the heroes as Jade sneaks away like she's trying not to wake up her parents in the middle of the night. Shao Kahn is very displeased that this poorly laid out trap fails, so he is about to kill Jade, but then that statue monster that I mentioned before eats her instead, and disappears for the rest of the movie. That was a thing, I guess. Something I said throughout watching this entire film. Now we're building up to the climax. Raiden, now only immortal, challenges Shao Kahn, and he gets blasted and pretty much dies immediately. Liu Kang fights Shao Kahn to avenge Raiden's death. The only villain characters that we see in Shao Kahn's lair, Ermac, who I'm pretty sure is never even named in this movie, Motaro and Sindel are left to fight the other heroes. Jax fights Motaro the centaur, his mechanical arms getting destroyed in the fight. He then uses the awesome might of having confidence, something he didn't really seem to have a problem with in this movie, to punch the living daylights out of Motaro. Sonya fights Ermac, who summons a second ninja, and they take turns beating up Sonya. She learns the amazing skill to call Jax for help to even up the fight. Katana fights Sindel, I don't really remember how that goes. Liu Kang and Shao Kahn beat each other up a bit. Shao Kahn gains the upper hand, but Liu Kang breaks free with his animality, transforming into a very hideous-looking CG dragon. Shao Kahn transforms into an even more hideous Hydra-like creature. During this terribly animated battle, Liu Kang cuts Shao Kahn's neck to cause him to bleed. This leads Shao Kahn to turn to his dad. Because I guess his dad removed his immortality or made him vulnerable or something. There is a character I forgot to talk about. Shao Kahn has a disapproving father in this movie. In fact, in this movie, Raiden and Shao Kahn are brothers. Their father, who is an Elder God, made them fight because only someone strong enough to kill their own brother can be his heir. Raiden won the fight, but refused to kill his brother. So now I guess Daddy loves Shao Kahn more? Those tattoos I mentioned earlier turn out to be the mark of Raiden's bloodline. Marks bestowed on Molina and Cyrax so they can move through the portal safely from Outworld to Earth. Shao Kahn's and Raiden's dad doesn't do much except be very disappointed in Shao Kahn, probably because he refuses to wear his iconic mask through the majority of the movie. In fact, if Shao Kahn had his iconic camera like he did in earlier the scenes of the movie, he probably could have used his cheap Mortal Kombat moves to defeat Liu Kang without needing his father to interfere. This is when the Elder Gods show up, because suddenly they care about the rules. The Mortal Kombat techno-theme kicks in, powering up Liu Kang, who defeats Shao Kong by doing a weird backflip kick, a very weak way to defeat an honestly weak villain. Sheng Sung may have made goofy faces, but he had a presence to him, he was intimidating. The movie isn't without merit. The score is about as good as the first movies, the sets and costumes are still good. And I would say overall the fight choreography was better and less awkward than the first movie. With that being said, avoid this movie. I watched this through sheer curiosity. Brandon told me repeatedly not to do it, but I did. It's a mistake I make too often. But I like to form my own opinions on things. You really wouldn't be missing much by skipping this movie. The first film had a fun personality that allowed me to have a good time. This movie felt like it was so much longer, yet its runtime is actually shorter than the first movie. It goes to show whether you're making a masterpiece or just a silly video game movie, personality can make nearly any movie engaging.
0: Thank you for doing that, Zach. We appreciate your sacrifice, and I promise you will be well remembered in the next episode when we cover the Mortal Kombat reboot. (laughs) But in the meantime, if you have any suggestions or topics you'd like us to cover on this podcast, please send them to Podcast at gmail.com. For more episodes of Overthinking Movies, as well as the other podcasts made by my team of talented coworkers, go to goldhitswkva.com. 1055com and star967.com. If you still have interest in Mortal Kombat, despite us kind of going over the entire movie here, I would definitely recommend giving it a watch if it sounds like it's up your alley. It's a fun, cheesy action movie with great sets, likable characters, a good and score, and fast pacing. And Mortal Kombat Annihilation would be better off if we just pretended it never existed. That's a wrap.